Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us and we're going to begin this morning. Father, we just thank you for an incredible time of worship. Singing praises to your name, Father. Just um, lifting you up. Father, recognizing your glory and your majesty in our lives. I pray for our time together now as we open up the truth of your word, Father. Help us to understand that it's foundational to the way we live our lives. Lord, it's not just some literature book. It's not just a bunch of good stories. It is the power unto salvation, Lord. And it gives us the ability to live our lives in a way that brings you honor and glory. So help us to see the significance of this study. Speak to us through your words, Father. May you receive honor and glory and through the power of the Spirit. May we be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, such an exciting time of the year. Summer is busy and a lot of energy and a lot of things going on. As you saw already, Rockridge last week was incredible, great week. A lot of kids and a lot of rain. I think I still have wet clothes that I'm trying to dry, but it stopped for Rockridge last week and now Camp Viola kicks off this afternoon about 5 o'clock. You'll see some of those people at the end of the service be in prayer for them. Just another opportunity to reach local children for Christ and it's not too late to help by the way. If you want to be involved in Camp Viola this week Christy's probably in here somewhere in the back you'll see her down front here in a few minutes. Talk to her talk to me. There's still places you can serve if you're willing and able and want to do that this week. We have other uh, opportunities and trips coming up this summer. Missions, you'll see some of those at the end of the service. And then July the 22nd, excuse me, 16th through the 22nd. Do we have a Mission LaGrange slide up somewhere? I know I didn't tell you I was going to do that. Can you pull that up for me if we have one? Mission LaGrange, July the 16th through the 22nd. We may not have one here. There it is. 16th to the 22nd. Put that on your calendar if you would. I'm going to start today, and you're going to hear me say this a bunch between now and then. I'm going to challenge every person in our church to do something. That's, that's you, by the way. You're like, did you hear that? Do you hear that? No, I'm talking to you as well, okay? I want you to do something. We've designed this to have activities. Uh, there's a, there's a, a schedule and a calendar already out. Well, somewhere in my notes here, where is it? A schedule and a calendar here that you can pick up. This got the list of all the things we're going to be doing, and it's color-coded with the days and the times, and so you can kind of plan your schedule a month out. You say, I'm not physically able to do some of these kind of things. You can prayer walk. If you can't prayer walk, then prayer drive. Okay? Do something. All these locations, the places are going to be all over the city. Drive through those areas and pray for them if you can't be involved. But I think there's something for everybody. I think there's a place you can be involved. I think there's a place you can serve. And I'm really excited this year because we've kind of challenged through our True Baptist Association. There are approximately 55 Southern Baptist churches in Troop County alone. We've challenged those churches this year during this same week to do mission outreach to their community. So, so the idea and the hope and, and really a way you can be praying is that every other church in our association on those dates will do some sort of activity in our community to reach the people for Christ. Could you imagine if, if 60 churches in our area all during the same week were intentional about reaching this community for Christ? What a difference we could make in the lives of the people of True County. 
It's an incredible opportunity for our church. It's an incredible opportunity for our association. So you be in prayer. You be involved. And over the next several weeks, I'm going to be challenging you with this idea of Mission LaGrange. I'm going to preach some sermons that relate to it and kind of of get us in the mindset, the frame of mind of going and doing. But I want to kind of answer a question this morning that some people ask as it relates to service and especially mission work, whether it's local or somewhere around the world. They they say something like this. You know, what, what real difference... Adam, can I make, I'm just one person. And what can I do? Right? And you, maybe you've thought that before. Maybe you've kind of thought to yourself, I'm not really going to get involved because I'm not sure I can fit in. I'm not sure there's a place of service for me. I, I don't know what I can accomplish. Or maybe you take it a step further. You say, you know what, I don't, I don't know that I can serve. I'm not sure there's a place I can fit in. And plus, if all these people knew what I had done, they'd never ask me to serve anyway. Or if all these people knew the struggles I had, they'd never want me to be a part of that ministry. Well, just kind of newsflash, we all have struggles. <laughs> We've all got things back there that we probably wish had not happened. But we can't allow the devil to lie to us and trick us into thinking that the things that have happened in the past some way affect our future because they don't in the kingdom of God. And so as we think about our place and we're concerned maybe that we're just one person and we can't serve, I want to kind of answer that question this morning. But instead of kind of telling you what I think, I think as we should do every Sunday morning, we need to open the truth of God's Word and see what God thinks. And I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13 this morning and take a look with me beginning in verse 18. Luke chapter 13, we're going to begin in verse 18. Now Luke is going to write about Jesus teaching in parables. Now Jesus did a lot of teaching in parables. A parable, simply enough, is a story that kind of has a main idea. And so we don't usually get bogged down in the details necessarily. It's kind of a main thought, a main idea that Jesus wants us to get. He teaches in parables oftentimes. And in this particular context, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus is going to teach a parable about the kingdom of God. Now before we get into that, you see it right there in verse verse, uh, 8. I want to show, excuse me, verse 18. I want to define for you what the kingdom of God is. So we're kind of on the same page. I want to read a definition and then explain it a little bit and challenge what you may understand about the kingdom and your place in the kingdom, then we're going to jump into the scripture together. The kingdom of God is the present and future realm in which God exercises full authority and through which he triumphs over all opposition. Now let me read that again. The present and future realm in which God exercises full authority and through which he triumphs over all opposition. So the kingdom of God is where, it's not necessarily a geographical location or even a time, but it's at any point in history, it's at any location where God's rule is known and obeyed. That's the kingdom of God. Right, so as a Christian, you are part of the kingdom of God. Your calling is to be part of the kingdom of God and to usher in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. In fact, he said earlier in Luke, he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. So, so Jesus, this is important for us to understand, Jesus kind of inaugurates the kingdom on earth, right? He brings the kingdom to earth. Some of you guys will remember as Jesus was teaching in, in Matthew chapter 6, and he, he taught the Lord's Prayer. You'll remember how the Lord's Prayer begins. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy what? Kingdom come, thy will be done, where first? On earth as it is in heaven. 
Right, so, so the idea is that the kingdom of God in heaven where God reigns and God rules, we're trying to take that kingdom, we want God's will to be done, we want his kingdom to come to earth so it's on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kingdom of God. And so J- Jesus kind of inaugurated that, he started that, he brought that to the earth, he started the process, but the church is <clears throat> in this kind of interesting place in history because although the kingdom started with Jesus and is growing, we haven't yet reached the end, we understand that. So there, there's a time that will come where we'll see the kingdom of God in all of its glory, in all of its fullness, and so scholars use this interesting phrase, they call it the already but the not yet, we're kind of already in it. But we're not yet there where we're going. And so just to kind of use an analogy, like a story, to help you understand. Imagine you're building a house. And so you're kind of in this place where the house has already been, uh, the foundation has been laid. And some of the walls are coming up. And we've got a plan. We've got a picture. We know where we're going. But we're in the process of building this house. It's like that with the church now, right? Christ inaugurated the kingdom. He laid the foundation. He started the process. We're now in the process of building the kingdom of the Lord. And so Luke is going to challenge us this morning through the teaching of Christ to not only be part of the kingdom, to recognize your place in the kingdom, but to really move the kingdom forward in its growth. Okay, so Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 18, these are the words of Christ. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? Right, so he's talking about the kingdom, and to what shall I compare it? How can I help these people understand the kingdom? So he says in verse 19, it's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So let's stop there. Let's try to understand the kingdom. Let's try to understand our place in the kingdom, how it relates to us, and and really our calling as believers within the kingdom. Here's the first truth I want you to see that Christ kind of gets at here in this parable. Number one, the kingdom of God uses small things to impact the world. Right, Christian that's sitting here right now that thinks he or she is insignificant, this truth is for you. I'm talking, you know who I'm talking to. You feel unused. You feel out of place. You're not certain where you need to be serving. You're not certain what you need to be doing. You've kind of bought into this lie that you can't really, or you don't really, or you don't know enough. You've kind of bought into this lie that you can't be used of the kingdom. Jesus wants you to understand that sometimes the kingdom of God uses small, little bitty, insignificant things to impact the world in great ways. And so Jesus uses this story of a seed, but it's not just any seed, it's a, it's a mustard seed. Right, and if you study, you know that in the first century, the farmer would sow all sorts of different kinds of seeds. He would plant all sorts of different kinds of seeds. And the mustard seed, which was about a millimeter in diameter, would have been the smallest seed he would have planted. That would be the smallest thing he would try to grow. And he would plant these tiny little bitty seeds. And Christ said, listen, this little bitty insignificant seed will grow into this large tree that even the birds of the air can live in. Jesus says, listen, within the gospel, within the kingdom, within this seed, within this insignificant tiny little invisible 
invisible seed is potential to change the world. As believers, we've got that potential. We were at Rock Rouge this last week. And Rock Rouge has got a lot of big trees. And that's one of the things I love about Rock Rouge. You, you walk in and you see these big oaks. And, and one of the big oak trees this particular year, right by the dining hall, you kids or some of the leaders may have seen it, they cut it down. And right in the middle, it looked kind of rotted out. I guess it died or something had gotten in there. And, and so there's these large logs, several feet in diameter, just kind of laying around by the dining hall. And the stump was there. And, you know, if you count the rings, you're supposed to be able to tell the age of the tree. I counted about 80 rings. That's an old tree. And I started thinking about that tree and, and the strength of that tree. And I thought, you know, that massive tree and that wood, and, and I didn't try, but I promise I couldn't even have picked up one of those stumps. They were pretty tall They'd cut them about that tall and probably that big round. You probably, two or three of us maybe could pick one of those things up. They're heavy and strong. And the weight of that tree, and I thought, you know, that, that started from a little bitty acorn. Eighty years ago, an acorn fell in that spot. And over the course of 80 years, it's grown into this massive tree. When I was growing up, my granddaddy had big oak trees near his house. And he had these, these patios. He would, he would pour concrete, right? And he had these patios we'd come sit in. And a couple of the trees were really close to the patio. And if you've ever kind of been around a tree near a patio, after a certain number of years, what begins to happen to that concrete? Cracks, doesn't it? Cracks, and then it begins to bow up. And you're like, that's pretty thick concrete and pretty strong. How in the world could that tree, right? So there's this interesting idea that this tiny little seed, whether it's a mustard seed or an acorn or something really small, has this potential to do great things. And given enough time and enough energy and enough effort, can literally break up the foundation of the strongest things in the world. Jesus says, I've, I've kind of implanted within the believer this seed of the gospel that gives great strength and great power, and I can use tiny little things to impact the world. One of the things we do in, in South Asia that I love is we work with local believers. Local Christians, men and women that have come to know Christ and have kind of given their hearts and minds to Him. And I'm always very convicted when I teach because like, we go in there and, and the, these, these people want to hear us teach because we're the Americans and, and they think we're all believers in America, by the way. That's kind of the thought of America. Yeah, we laugh too, right? <laughs> no, we're not, we're not all believers. And so we, we get to teach these people. And I, I'm always convicted because I've, I've studied and our team has studied. And we, we know the truth. And we do a really good job of teaching the truth. So we have the knowledge. But compared to those people and the way they live out the gospel, sometimes I feel like they're a thousand miles farther down the road, right? Because I'm teaching them about how to plant a church. They've just planted 15. Right? I'm teaching them about how to share my faith. And that's all they've done the last couple of days. They've gone out and shared their faith, right? And so there's these sense of these people that have kind of taken the truth of the gospel, taken this seed and allowed it to kind of grow within their hearts. And they talk about generations of believers, right? So, so this guy up here leads a person to Christ. That's the first generation. That guy leads somebody to Christ. That's the second generation. Third, fourth. They talk about the fifth and the sixth and the seventh generation of believers. The fifth and sixth and seventh generation of churches that they have planted. And, and I look at these people and then they're just... Like us, they're just these insignificant kind of nobodies. They're just normal people. And the Lord has used them to accomplish great things. And I look at us and I think, you know, what, what could the Lord accomplish through us if we took the truth of the gospel and understood how the Lord wants to use us to grow and to further His kingdom? We've got great potential, folks. Within your heart, within the gospel that Christ has given you is the potential to literally change the world. So that, that to me is why this next section is so important. Right? You've got this potential to do great things. Look again at verse 19. Pull that up if you would for me, please. 
Jesus explains the mustard seed, right? So it's like a grain of mustard seed. This is important, right? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. Right? So there, there's this sense in this parable that somebody took this mustard seed and did something productive with it. Here's kind of the second truth. The kingdom of God must be spread by Christians. Right? This mustard seed didn't just randomly fall out of the sky. It didn't just randomly land in this man's garden. This guy took this seed and he was intentional about planting it, about watering, about picking the weeds, getting the soil ready, everything he had to do to make it grow. He took this seed, he planted it, he prepared, he did everything he was supposed to do and that seed grew into this large tree. Jesus says, listen, we've been given this seed of the gospel. We've been given this truth. We've been given this power. You need to go and do something with it. Which is the call we see all through Scripture, right? Matthew 28, we know the passage. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, local, Judea, Samaria, which is regional, to the ends of the earth, right? The, the, the scriptures are, are clear that it's our calling to get up and go do something. Now here's what we do, right? So we've got, a, I've, I told you guys, we've got a garden this year we're doing at home. And we decided to do corn this year and it's really amazing. I mean, I've never done corn. I can't reach the top of the stalks right now. And I've got about 10 rows or 40 or 50 long, 50 feet long each. And you go out in the middle of my corn, it's a small little area, and I can't see out. It's, it's kind of scary in there. But right, I, I've got all this corn, right? So it would be silly for me if I wanted some more corn to take a bunch of seeds of corn in the middle of these 8 foot tall stalks of corn and plant a bunch of seeds right in that stalk. I wouldn't do that. I would go to a different area where there was no corn and our plant seed, right? But here's what the local church in America has done. We kind of do everything in the walls of this church. All the work we do, all the seeds we plant, all the effort goes into the, into the walls of this church. And rarely, and this church is very different, by the way, praise the Lord for that. But rarely in the modern church do we get outside of the walls. We, we don't sow seed of corn in the middle of corn. We sow corn seeds in an area where there's no corn. We spend all of our effort in the four walls of this church and most of us are already believers, praise the Lord. But it's our call to take this gospel that Jesus has given us, this power unto salvation that can change the world, take that seed, get outside of the walls of the church and do something with it. That's the failure of the modern church. One writer said it like this. He says the parable, he's talking about the parable in Luke 13, assumes that the man had a garden... And that he desired to reap a crop, right? There's kind of an assumption built in there. Sadly, many professing Christians go through life without any concept that the Lord has given them a corner of his field to sow and produce a crop for him. He is the landowner to whom we all must give an account. Your garden consists of the people with whom you have contact to influence them for the sake of the kingdom of God. You should desire to see God use you to produce a harvest for Him in your garden. Right? It's our calling to take the kingdom of God and spread it out into the world. Now here's what too many of us do in this part of the world. We say something like this. Well, you know what? 
Everybody's a Christian in Troop County. I mean, everybody on my streets a Christian. Everybody I work with is a Christian. All my family's Christian. Everybody I know on the grocery store, Walmart, every time I talk to someone, everybody's a Christian. We say that, don't we? We laugh, but we say that, right? We, we, we don't think they're a Christian. We at least say they go to church, or their grandmama took them to church, or their granddaddy's a pastor, and all those are good things. And There's nothing wrong with those things, but those things don't make people believers. And so we, we buy into this lie that everybody's already a Christian, so yeah. Whatever, right? So here's the, here's the truth, right? Statistically, they say, and this is census numbers, about 70% of Georgia's lost. Now, the Georgia Baptist Convention thinks that's closer to 90%. Now, let's use 70 as a low number. What if it was just 50? What if it was just half? Even a low number below statistics, right? If half of the population were unbelievers, that would mean within just a few short miles of this church in any direction are literally thousands of people that don't know Christ. Did you know that? That means seven out of every ten homes in your neighborhood, they're not believers. Seven out of every ten workers at your job are not believers. Seven out of every ten kids in the classroom are not believers. And yet we've bought into this lie for some reason that we've kind of saturated our area, we've kind of reached people for Christ. It's not the case, folks. The the devil's been real sneaky into, into selling us this lie that our work is kind of done. We don't really need to spread it anymore. It's over. Everybody's already reached. Just kind of do your thing in the walls of your church. Be happy. And guess what? Churches are dying by rate about 800 a year in the convention. 800 a year close their doors. Why? Because they're not getting outside the walls. They're failing to understand the truth, the principle of the kingdom of God as a seed that must be sown. See, Jesus has kind of already explained earlier in Luke chapter 10, speaking to his disciples. The same problem they had today is the problem we have now. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field. We have to be involved in reaching the world for Christ. We have to take the responsibility for our actions as related to the kingdom of God. How are you sowing seed? At home, at work, at the dance recital, on the ball field. God has given you, as I love what that, that writer said, God has given you kind of this corner of his field. He's given you this area, and there's not a lot of crops there. And God has given you this amazing, powerful, miraculous seed that will transform lives and change the world. And all you got to do is sow it. But here's what a lot of people do. They say, you know what, I, I get that. I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I, I see the seed and I understand I'm supposed to be doing. But I just get, here's what they say, I get frustrated because I don't ever see anything happening. I mean, I tried to share with my neighbor a couple of weeks ago. I tried to share with my boss. Or I tried to share with that kid at school. and I, You know, nothing changed, man. I just, I just didn't see anything happen. And I get frustrated. Well, listen to how Jesus finishes this story. Look at verse 20 again. He's going to answer that question for us. He says again to them, What shall I compare the kingdom of God? Right? So he's already compared it to a mustard seed, tiny yet growing and very powerful. Then verse 21, it's like leaven that a woman took. And what's the next word? Three of you saw it. Let's all see it this time. Ready? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leaven. Here's truth number three. The kingdom sometimes grows in obscurity. 
Now here's what that means for you. Just because you're not seeing the fruit you think you ought to see doesn't mean you can be disobedient to your calling. Whether you're seeing it happen or not, you still ought to be doing it. Because Jesus says sometimes, go back to that verse, sometimes the kingdom is like leaven, right? We, we put it in the bread and we, we mix it in and we hide it and we can't really see it in the bread. Right? Yeast, right? You put yeast, you ever made bread? You put yeast in there and you can't really, you put it in the oven and nothing happens. You're like, you know, you come back three hours later and there's this massive thing that's risen and it's big and it's grown, right? It's this process that sometimes we don't see and can't witness. And we get bogged down sometimes because we can't see the results we want to see. We can't see the fruit we want to see. We can't understand why it's not just growing. And we can't understand why the neighbor is not on fire. And we think, I'm going to witness to my neighbor tonight. And tomorrow I'll be in the cul-de-sac preaching the gospel to everybody and thousands will fly. That's not the case oftentimes. And so the devil tricks us. Yeah, you're a failure. You witness to that guy, nothing happened. You have no idea what's going on in that man or that woman's heart. You have no idea how the Lord's going to use that. You have no idea how the kingdom will grow inside that person. You may never see it, but the point is, Jesus says, listen, we need to be aware that sometimes God does things. Pull up that third point. Sometimes God does things in secret, in obscurity. Sometimes the kingdom grows and we don't even know it. I'm reminded of the life of Jesus Christ. Remember, the Jewish people wanted a ruler. They wanted a king. They wanted a military, powerful person to come in and kind of reinstall them in their rightful place. Jesus comes on the scene, and he's born in a little nothing of a town, hidden. He's in obscurity. In a stable, in obscurity. (laughs) For 30 years, nobody hears anything from him. 30 years. I, I promise you, when I was, in my, I, I, I remember how I was, late teens, early 20s. If I could walk on water when I was in my early 20s, everybody would have known it. I promise you that. And yet Jesus lives in obscurity, 30 years in obscurity. Growing and learning and being prepared, hidden. He ministers for three little years. In small, insignificant little towns, oftentimes to poor people, to the people that everybody looked down upon, to the people that nobody liked, in obscurity, right? He's hidden. He didn't go to the kings and the princes and the powers. He went to the people, the lowliest of people. Then he's arrested, he's crucified, he dies, and they're like 120 believers. Nothing. Piddly in our minds. Hidden. In obscurity. But through the work of Christ and through the work of his disciples and through the work of their disciples and the churches, the gospel spread. More churches were planted. More believers came to know Christ. More people came to know Christ. More and more this spread. And the gospel of Jesus Christ that started insignificantly in Nazareth as nothing has grown now into what we know it as the kingdom of God today. Jesus says sometimes these things are going to happen in secret. 1949 when the communists took over China, all the believers and all the missionaries that were there were kicked out. Now there had been a kind of a growing missionary movement there in the early 1900s. People were coming to know Christ. Small number of believers were seen and churches were kind of popping up. There were, they estimate maybe three or four million people in China that were believers in the late 40s. 
The communist government takes over in 1949. They kick out all the missionaries. They, they kill a lot of the religious leaders. The Chinese church has to go into hiding. And when the missionaries, the experts, left China in the late 1940s, they believed that the Christian church had been extinguished. Done. And so for several decades, they just wondered. Come several years ago, a couple of decades ago, they begin to be reintroduced into the country. They begin to kind of get to know the believers. And what they thought would have happened was that these local believers in the 1940s, because they were new, they were undiscipled, they didn't really understand a lot about church planting, they just felt like the church would kind of die out. When they re-entered China several decades later, they realized that what had happened is those local believers had gone into hiding, they had been persecuted, they'd gone into obscurity, and in the secret of the Chinese house church... Instead of dying, it had thrived. And tens of millions of people had come to know Christ in obscurity, under great persecution, in hiding. Sometimes the kingdom grows and we don't even know it. God can use you to accomplish incredible things and you may never see the fruit this side of eternity. But we've got to keep going. We've got to keep sharing we got to keep teaching people the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of you guys know the name Edward Kimball? Anybody? Good, that helps my illustration. Nobody knows, I'll remind you that here in a couple, nobody knows Edward Kimball. Edward, now you're going to, in a few minutes you're going to hear it because some of you heard this story. I think it's worth repeating. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher in the mid-1800s somewhere in Boston. And he was a Sunday school teacher that wanted to reach his kids for Christ. And there was one particular boy that just wouldn't listen and wasn't interested. And he worked at a a shoe store. And so Edward Kimball decided he's going to go to the shoe store one afternoon and witness his kid and share Christ. That kid listened that afternoon, prayed to receive Christ. That man's name was D.L. Moody. You've heard the name D.L. Moody. One of the greatest evangelists of our time. D.L. Moody became a great evangelist, a great pastor. Under his teaching and preaching, Wilbur Chapman was saved. I'm going to fast forward the story. Wilbur Chapman became a pastor and an evangelist. Under his teaching, Billy Sunday was converted. Billy Sunday, a great teacher, a great preacher. Under Billy Sunday's teaching and preaching, a man named Mordecai Ham was saved. Some of you know where the story's going. Mordecai Ham became an evangelist and a preacher. And then I'm going to read the account here. When Mordecai Ham came to Charlotte, North Carolina, a sandy-haired, lanky young man called Billy Frank by his family, then in high school, went to hear Mordecai preach. The young man was intrigued by what he heard. Returning another night, he responded to the invitation and was converted. Billy Frank eventually became known as Billy Graham. One Sunday school teacher in the mid-1800s that nobody in this room had ever heard of because of his faithfulness led to the conversion of Billy Graham, probably the greatest pastor and evangelist this world has ever seen. Don't buy the lie that you don't matter. Don't buy the lie that you can't make a difference. Don't believe the devil when he tells you you don't have a place of service because the Lord will use you to spread the kingdom. Oftentimes we won't see the fruit. Oftentimes we won't know that what we've done has impacted the kingdom. But if we're faithful, if we trust the Lord, he will do great things in our midst. Let's pray. Father, we praise your name for the power of the gospel. It's the power unto salvation for all that believe, Lord. And you've given us that power.
Lord, you've given us just that mustard seed of the kingdom. And you've said to us, go out into the world, share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Plant that seed, Father. So I pray you would first of all give us the courage to realize that we can make a difference in your kingdom. That we do have a calling. That we possess a power, Father, greater than any in the universe, Lord. Not because of anything we've accomplished, but because of what you've accomplished. So, Father, help us to see that seed. Help us see the importance of planting that seed. Use us, Father, whether it's in local missions, regional missions, missions around the world. Help us, Father, to understand the importance of growing the kingdom, being part of sowing those seeds. And, Father, we want to praise your name for everything that you're going to do. Challenge and empower us to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. And we'll praise your name for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to offer up the altar to you to pray. You can come speak to me. This is an opportunity for you to respond. You come, you respond as we sing together this morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.